we are ending a series called Who Do You Think You Are? And our desire on the series was just to talk about the identity um, culture that we see ourselves in in our, in our society, the identity culture, meaning that it can be something good, it can be something very bad, uh, especially when it comes to what culture maybe says. And so that's what we've kind of approached the series from, is the idea of how do we identify or how do we uh, see identity, go ahead and go to the next slide, uh, and understand it uh, based on what culture does tell us about our identity and what Jesus tells us. So here's a couple of things as a quick recap as to where we've been in the series, okay? Uh, just as foundational things. The culture, really, the baseline identity for our culture is to be, be yourself, right? Just be true to yourself. There's all these things about your authentic voice in you and to be true to you and just do you and, and everything else. You know, you just do you and everyone else will just kind of come around you like a tree. I don't know, there's all sorts of examples, right, of, of you being true to yourself because that's the baseline cultural advice for how we seek and play out our identity. Now, in terms of what Jesus says, he wants us to be true to what he says you are. He wants you to be true to who he says you are, and the reality is, is that you have to read the word of God, you have to know what he says you are in order for you to align and support the identity that you believe to be true in your life. For culture, we said in the last couple of weeks that it's, it's achieved, right? It's, it's performative. All right, now, I don't want you to get the wrong picture of this because you do still receive an identity from culture or maybe you say you're this and culture wants to define for you what that means. It just means that you have to work at it. And if you've ever been somebody who's had to change careers middle of your life or to change uh, you know, where you live and what you do and your family or, or because of tragedy, your family changed, you would, you'd be surprised to see how much of your identity actually is attached to other things? It's attached to circumstantial and circumstances in your life. And, and that just ought to show you a little bit more about how this identity really is achieved. If you think about your career right now, your profession, so to speak, um, you have to ask yourself the question of, look, if it were to fail tomorrow, if it were all go to pot tomorrow, are you going to be okay? Right? Does that, how much does that tie into your identity? This is what we mean by identity is performative, meaning you have to live up to it. You have to do work for it. You have to work hard at it to be who you think you're supposed to be, to be who others have said you're supposed to be, or maybe has placed on your life. Versus, again, what Jesus maybe says, which is your identity is received, not earned. That what we actually get from him is something that's a gift. It's something that we receive from him. That it's not something we have to constantly strive to earn, achieve, or, or hold, you know, toe the line, so to speak, but that it's actually all the work is done by him for us with our identity. And over the last few weeks, here's how we're going to kind of bring it together. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about multiple ideas, but we wanted to kind of round out this picture of the identity that we receive from Jesus. First week, Chris, Pastor Chris talked about how he's at work in us, right? Ephesians 2.10 says that in Christ, we are God's masterpiece, okay? There's some uniqueness there. There's an element of what he's doing specifically in you. The work that's happening in here, the transformation is all a part of God doing a work in you, and it's a part of who you are. It's a part of your identity, and we're called to do certain things, and he wants us to be able to accomplish the work he's provided for us. That's part of Ephesians 
2.10. Last week, I talked about the fact that part of this identity is that we're in relationship with God, right? We're in a relationship. That's a big deal. Okay, we're, you know, Galatians talks about the fact that we are all, because of Christ, we are all children of God, that we are sons and daughters. If you weren't here last week, I challenge you to go back and listen to it. For you who maybe struggles with that, the identity part of our relationship is a pretty big deal in terms of how we relate to God. I think last week, I think I shared with you, look, we're all God's creation, right? We all belong to him. We're all accountable to him. But to those who call upon the name of the Lord, to those who have surrendered their life to God, you are children of God. You have that right and that privilege, uh, and not only with co-heirs with Christ, but to call him Abba, uh, Father. Today, we're going to round this out by not just talking about how he's at work within us or the relationship that's created, but that, that all of it has a purpose. You know, that Jesus didn't give us an identity just so we could feel better about who we are, but actually that it has in our actual identity, there's actual purpose to it. There's actually a reason for it. There's actually something for you to go do. Now, we're going to use a phrase that most people don't like. And I say don't like it, I don't mean that you hate it, I just mean it's, it's not a phrase that you would typically normally apply to yourself because it's a doctrinal idea, it's a doctrinal phrase that I'm gonna introduce you, many of you to if you don't know it already. But in the Western church, in the Western paradox in terms of our current modern church, uh, you know, the idea of being a priest, the royal priesthood, if you will, that's kind of the doctrinal term, the idea of me saying to you, hey, you're a priest, most of you would go, no, not really. In your mind, you have all the things that, are, that you attribute to that word, right? The robing and the collars and the clothes and the, and the confession booth and the, and the celibacy and the scandals and all the things, you know, or just, you know, horror movies. Every horror movie has a priest in it, Right? So it doesn't matter how you have it, you're, you're going to have a definition of that word in your mind that you're going to be like, mm, 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 and it's going to be hard for you to hear how this really does actually apply to those of you who have put your faith in Christ. And it's called the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. Next, I'm going to pull a, a quote from a book from Tim Keller that I really like, just because I like his language instead of it being too too boring, something that talks about how it actually plays itself out, okay? The doctrine of the priesthood of all believers states that all believers in Christ share in his priestly status, right? Therefore, there is no special class of people who mediate the knowledge, the presence, or the forgiveness of Christ to the rest of the believers, okay? And all believers have the right and the authority to read, interpret, and apply the teachings of Scripture. Now, this is a big deal. Again, if you, you're part of Journey, we're a Protestant evangelical church in terms of our baseline understanding of who we are. We believe this. We believe in the, in the royal priesthood of all believers, meaning that you may not use that word to identify you, and most of you won't leave here and be like, well, hello, I'm John. I'm a priest of God. Hello, how are you? you know, most of you are not going to do that, and that's fine does not change the truth. It does not change how this is a part of our identity that we've received in Christ and the fact that it gives us extraordinarily privilege, it gives us a job to do, and it gives us purpose for our lives. It comes from 1 Peter. This is Peter using it as, a, as an illustration, if you will, and as an example, and calling this out. Now, 
You'll notice in most of the scriptures, nothing in the New Testament, Paul refers, using some similar words, Paul says the word saint. Okay, everybody say saint. Now, most of you are not going to walk out of here and believe you're a saint either. Okay, but that's just to give you some language, like that's a very similar kind of phrasing. But Paul is specifically, Peter's going to specifically use the word priest because of the way in which he's talking about it. Okay, so here's, we start in 2 Peter, 1 Peter 2.4. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for a great honor. And you are the living stones, talking about the church. He says, you are the living stones, building into his spirit. He's building into his spirit's temple. What's more, you are his, say the words out loud, two words. That's who you are. Now, the, you know, the next couple of verses talk specifically more about what that rejection looked like. And if you've ever heard the phrase, um, you know, the builders rejected, right? The, the stone that the builders rejected, that's from this passage in terms of the rejection of Christ. And yet he's like, no, that's not the way that works because Christ is all and all in terms of, for us, at least when we read Hebrews, he's the last priest we needed. He was the last prophet we needed, Right? He was the, he's the king of all kings. So it's this big, big picture that Peter's trying to get across. But anyway, jump back into where we come in in this passage. He says, but you, he's talking to the church. You are not like that. I Meaning you are not the ones who rejected him. You're not the ones who put all these things in place. You are his chosen people. You are, you are a royal priesthood. That's how he views the church. A holy nation, God's very, his own possession. As a result, you can now show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into the wonderful light. Keep going. Once you had no identity. Now, is that a big deal? Here's, Paul doing this, here's Peter doing the same series we're doing. Isn't that cool? Like once you had no identity, but, but as, as people, but now you're God's people. You received no mercy, but now you've received God's mercy. Peter's very, in this passage, Peter's doing the same thing we're doing. He wants, he wants the church to know who they are. Do you know who you are? And in this, helping them understand through this word picture, just this building of a temple and God's temple. And, and not only are you living rocks, and he talks about that in terms of being built. He's like, but you are the priest. You share with Christ this, this status as holy priests, as the royal priesthood. It comes with purpose. It comes with role. It comes with function, right? Now, again, uh, don't, and don't, Label yourself that in parties. You won't be invited back. Um, but it is, a, it is a doctrinal principle that really does, I think, help you better have a foundation of who you are in terms of your identity. So let's talk. I'm going to give you three things. It's very simple. Just three ways in which this royal priesthood believers, this, this doctrinal principle that applies to our identity what it does for us, and how it kind of points us, points us in the direction of what he's called us to do, and how to live out this identity in him. The first and foremost, which is, which is part of the picture, is access and understanding. Most of you, even in the modern context, if you have any Catholic, I say Catholic, could be you know, multiple other religions, but Catholic's the one easy to pick on, right? If you grew up in a Catholic church, if you have any context of the Catholic church, there is an element of understanding where this context deeply comes from in terms of, uh, of, of being a priest, and that is being the mediator, the church, the priests, were the mediators 
uh, uh, of, you know, for God, for people. So people would come and, the, and they'd have to go through the priests. And I don't know if you've ever been in a confessional booth. It's creepy, okay? I've been in one. I wasn't there for confession. I was just, you know, just saw the church. But I went in one just to see, and it would creep me out sufficiently, okay? That's part of their doctrine and theology is you got to confess your sins, you know? And that's still a part of the Catholic church. I know it's not as big as it used to be, but that's still a part of it. But for us, we have to understand there was something significant that happened that Christ did on our behalf in terms of kind of changing the access that every single person who believes in God has to God. And this is part of the Easter story that I just love. This is, I mean, in terms of when we celebrate the Easter story, it's one of my favorite parts of the story. I'll just read you this quick passage from Matthew 27, 15. I'll give you the context. It says, when Jesus was being crucified, it says he cried out again in a loud voice, and then he gave up his spirit when he died. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. You, you don't understand maybe the significance of this in terms of the temple, but in terms of God's religion and the Jewish faith in the temple, there was a giant veil, a curtain that separated the presence of God from his people, his sinful people. It was part of the system that he created so people could, you know, have their sins kind of, uh, it was the process of sin, sins forgiven, you know, atonement, all those kind of things. It was to all point to Jesus, so Jesus fulfilled it all, right? But in this moment, the fulfillment comes when Jesus, when Jesus gives up his spirit to accomplish what the Father wanted to accomplish. There's an earthquake and there's all sorts of cool things that happen. But the veil, the thing that separated God, the presence of God from his people was torn from what? From top to bottom, right? It was torn by God so that every one of his children would have access to his presence. We know ultimately it's through the Holy Spirit because that's, that's what happens in the early church. But this is a huge deal in terms of access. We, we as the priests of God, if you will, Jesus was our last priest, but we now share in that status. We have the same access that they at one time, only they had, but because the veil was torn, we now have it. We get to have that access to God. Matter of fact, Jesus would give little uh, you know, precursors to this and talk about, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, like you, you're experiencing what it's going to be like just in the relationship they had with Jesus. This is a beautiful passage here in Matthew where he says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there also. Helping them understand that there's not just this access, but, but this beautiful picture of when God's people are together, when two or three more gather, I'm there in my name, I'm there. This is, there's no longer something that separates you. There is no longer the need for high priests and, and, and the priests of churches and churches themselves to somehow be a mediator between you and him when you gather in his name, just two or three of you. He's present. He's there. And we have to be careful. And I, I say this just for you to hear me. We have to be very, very careful of the man-made sort of um, uh, pedestals we place you know, so even current day modern uh, preachers and pastors and, and, and people in the church on. Because these are still man-made things. These are not things that God did, did an incredible work to tear these down. 
But people will ask me sometimes, and I, you know, people ask me sometimes what I think about something, and they'll, they'll ask me a question about Scripture, and they'll ask me kind of how do I see that, and that's great because I think there's wisdom in multiple people dividing Scripture together. That's how it was meant to be. It was supposed to be you in a closet by yourself, right? Through the Holy Spirit, we're given, we're given insight, but it was kind of meant to be done together in a group. But for us, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, but... But why is it that what, I, I mean, I have to be very careful. Why is it that what I'm going to say means more to you? Why is it that what I'm going to say, you're going to hold into a certain light, right? It's the same when someone says, you know, will you pray for me? You know, they'll call or, or I'll have a conversation, will you pray for me? And I'm, listen, I am happy to pray with people, right? That's what we're called to do. I love praying with people. But, but there's got to be some careful design here in terms of, yeah, but if, but if the pastor prays for me, it means more. If the pastor prays for me, there's more power to it. If the pastor prays for, see again, we're kind of slipping into a temple model, which basically means that someone else has to mediate. Now you have access to God, but they have like, you know, VIP access to God, right? Okay. We have to be careful about that. Okay. This is the whole point of the doctrine of royal priesthood. Like you have as much access to the throne of grace as I do. Okay? There is no pedestals. There's no difference. There's no division. You have, you have the same choice to access and understanding. Understanding is a big deal. Because it's not, you know, I really want to challenge you in this. It's not just about what pastors and inspirational speakers and all that say that should have the weight for you in your life in terms of the understanding of God. Now, this is a, a great passage. This is from Acts. This is a beautiful picture of what you see with, with kind of the New Testament church. This is uh, Paul and Silas. It says, that very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to uh, Berea. And when they arrived, they, were, they went to the Jewish synagogues. Okay? So they wanted to go to the Jewish synagogue and teach about who Jesus was. It goes on to say that people of Berea were, were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. That's good, right? That's good. But I want you to see this. However, they searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were, what's the words? Yeah, they wanted to know. Paul and Silas came in and gave an amazing talk. It was so good. I cried three times, right? And they walked away and said, well, that's what God is. No, they actually searched scripture. They actually looked to the word of God. They had the scripture that they had and said, well, is are what they're teaching us, actually, is, what, is it true? And as a result, many Jews believed, right? Because Peter, <laughs> Paul and Silas had a pretty good way of helping people connect the dots. And they said, no, it is true. And they believed, and so did many of the prominent Greek women and men. See, listen, I'm just, I'm good going back to this. I really want to challenge you to not be a lazy Christian, okay? Do not be a lazy Christian. It's far too easy with as much access, it's amazing to see that with as much access as we have today of preachers and teachers and YouTube videos and, and the Bible apps and so forth and so on, that we have the word of God so accessible today, and yet we live in, the, in a current culture of the, of the highest rate of biblical illiteracy, I meaning that people do not read it. You don't know it, and at best, it's a it's a, the scripture on the bottom of a signature. It's a devotional, daily bread scripture read out of context, and seven more paragraphs about a boy and his dog, and some other antidote that makes you feel good. Right? 
I mean, seriously, this is, this is our culture. So we, have to, we really have to be challenged in the fact that here's a beautiful examples of the Bereans that, you know, they're listening to what Paul and Silas said. They're more open-minded, which is great. You want to be students, right, not critics. But you also have to read the Word of God to know what the Word of God says, to be challenged by what someone else says the Word of God says. All right? That's, I mean, you have to be able to do this. And because you are the royal priesthood of believers. That's who you are. You have access to that, the same as anybody else. You have the ability to, to receive understanding just as much as they do. But you have to be able to seek that out. All right, here, I'm going to keep going. We have access and understanding, but we are also gifted. And we are gifted for the purpose in terms of the role and the function that we have. All right? I'm going to go and read these passages for you, but this is a part of what we teach in Growth Track. I promise you, we're working on getting Growth Track back in the fall and some versions of virtual and in person and all that stuff that we got to do. We're working on bringing it back because there's such valuable parts of what we teach in this. Part of this is being gifted. 1 Corinthians, what we're going to look at in chapter 12, it says, There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. So a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other, right? It's given to us for a reason, for a purpose in our lives. When we're presented these gifts, it's all different. It's all, it works in us differently. He does something different and unique in you that goes back to week one. But in terms of our purpose, you've been gifted for a purpose, for a reason. I say that very often in the growth track. I say we're, we're gifted on purpose for purpose. If you skip down to verse 12, he gives the illustration of the body. So the human body has many parts, but the many parts that make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some of us are slave, some of us are free. But we have all been baptized in one body, in one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part, okay? So here he's, you know, again, he's kind of painting this picture of, look, there's going to be differences in how God gifts you for the purpose in terms of your identity, but it's all still one identity. It's all still in him. It's all still from this one source, even though he's going to work differently in your life, and it's going to show it differently through your life as he has gifted you. It's all different parts of this, this human body, but it's still only one body. And he's gifted you with purpose. Again, going back to Peter, Peter uses this same phrase. He says, God's given you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. I want you to use them well to serve one another. There's a purpose in these gifts. And in the identity you've been given as priests, as the royal priesthood of all believers, with that part of your identity, you have been gifted <coughs> to accomplish all that God wants to see you do. Okay? He's equipped you to do every good work that he's put in front of you, he's placed in your life. And so this is, this, is a, this is a big one for us because so many of us that are wearing the different hats of all the different identities that we have to live up to in culture get really frustrated because we might not have everything that we need to live out that identity fully. 
We may not have everything that we need to fully see and fully accomplish some of the goals and things that we want to see happen or want to do because of the identity that we've placed on us, that we're trying to achieve. And that should be a red flag for you. Like the frustration that you don't have what you need to accomplish what you think you're supposed to do should be a red flag because the word of God tells us that he has already gifted you to accomplish all that he wants you to do. He equips you fully for the work he's placed in your life. It's going to be different than someone else's. It's going to look different than someone else's because he does the work individually. But it all comes from the same spirit. It all comes from the same God. And it is designed, as we read in Peter earlier, that priesthood of all beliefs, to show the goodness of God to others, to serve one another well. That's why he's given you these gifts. So if you're frustrated, if you're struggling, just know that's, that should be an identifier for you as to what identity you're living out of. Is it the identity you've received or is an identity you're working towards and working for? The third one, part of this identity, again, is that we're on mission. We're on mission. Every single one of us whose identity is in Christ, okay, we have access, we have understanding, we have, we have gifts been given to us spiritually, supernaturally, but we're also on mission. There's a purpose, bigger purpose to it. And this is a passage that that ties in our church pretty heavily to sort of what our church is all about. It's from 2 Corinthians. Go ahead and go to 2 Corinthians. Oh, that looks good. I don't know what that is. Cool. Everybody just yell shin. Everybody say shin on one, two, three. Yeah, shin's back there. He's solving it. So anyway, we'll figure it out. I can read it. Is it going to be up here? I can just read it. How about the TV? There you go. Okay, cool. He's working on the other one. TV's good, all right? Anyone who belongs to Christ is a what? Two words? New person. You've heard this. We teach this all the time, right? New person. Anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Keep going. Out of all of this, right, all of this is a gift from God. Like we, Again, we didn't earn it who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has now given us the task of reconciling people back to him. That's our mission, okay? That's our greater purpose. That's what we have been called to do. Around here, God's mission is our vision, okay? Don't let the words confuse you. But the mission itself, in terms of the bigger picture, we, we call that the vision of our church, like, we want to see this in terms of the completion of everyone's individual lives as well as corporately as a church where we're constantly going to be pointing. And that's that we're transformed people, right? We're the new person that's read there. And we're changing our friends' lives by this beautiful gift that we've been given, by the absolute hope of Jesus. We want to see the transformation happen in our friends' lives. We have already experienced it. We are already those new people in Christ with that new identity. We want to see the change happen for others. That's the mission. That's the vision of our church. That's God's mission for us. And I got news for you. 
COVID-19 does not change God's mission, right? It doesn't change the vision of our church. It's still there. And I know the general narrative in our culture is that everything's sort of like, whoa, everything's sort of on pause, you know, everything's on hold, everything's sort of shut down for a little bit, nothing's like it was. I don't disagree with you on certain things, but the reality is, is that his mission didn't change. His mission didn't change. And as long as you are living out of this identity, if you're living out of the identity he's given you, that you've received, then it shouldn't have changed anything. Here's a couple tools we give you. Here's a couple tools we give you that help you see how it doesn't really change. Circumstances don't change this. We talk about around here our top five. And the strategy itself is to share and serve. Okay, so our top five and, and share and serve. Now, Top five being that there, are, there is at least a minimum. Okay, I say a minimum. There can be more. There's a minimum of at least five people in your life, in your circle of influence, in your circle of who you're responsible for, that God has placed in your life right now, that you are called to share and serve, that you are called to pray for. Listen, how many people in your top five during this pandemic, have you texted, reached out to, and said, how can I pray for you? How, how can I pray for you? Right? How can I pray for you? Listen, if you're not doing it, you are missing a golden opportunity. You're missing one of the greatest opportunities to speak in their life right now. Who doesn't want to be prayed for? Okay? Who doesn't want to have the opportunity that if you say, listen, I'm here for you, what, let me know if there's anything you need. You're, you know, they don't need to know you're in my top five. I would never tell someone that. You're in my top five. <laughs> Woohoo! I don't know what that means. They don't care. Hey, how can I pray for you? What's going on in your life right now? What's happening? I, I read this on Facebook. I saw this on Twitter. You know, I saw this uh, go around. I saw this email. Um, can I pray for you about that? Do you, is there anything you want to talk about with that? You'd be surprised even during this period of time, what access you might have to be able to share your story of grace with, some, with someone else that needs to hear about the absolute hope of God. Because we share and we serve. We look for opportunities to share and we serve. So before you share your next political post and you share the meme or the funny video or whatever the case is of somebody wearing a mask or not wearing a mask or whatever the case is, like, like why don't you share scripture? Right? Why, don't you, why don't you share something about your story? Why don't you share something about you and your faith? I was, I was uh, really just really challenged by this. Recently, we have a, a family in our church, partners in our church, who uh, recently are walking through an extraordinarily difficult family tragedy, just loss and tragedy in their life. And their family went away for, for a little bit of time and spent a lot of time hiking and just kind of consoling each other and being together as a family. And then I saw on their Facebook page this picture, this picture. And they just took a moment. Now, this is for them. Understand, this was something they did for themselves. But they took a moment to share this with all the people that knew that was going on, what was going on in their life. They knew the tragedy. They knew the loss. They understood the heartbreak. They, you know, people in their top fives were, were sending their warm feelings. Everybody with me? They decide to take a moment for themselves on one of their walks to build this Ebenezer, to build this small stone altar. And they posted, very simple, two sentences on Facebook. We took the time to do this because we wanted to remember God's faithfulness and God's provision in our life. They're going through 
tragedy. But they took a moment to share their story of grace. They took a moment to share that even in the midst of this, it does not stop who we are, and it does not stop what we're called to do, which is even in the midst of this, share our story of grace with those who are watching. How do we serve others right now? Again, most people are like, ah, I can't really do anything. That's not true. That's really not true. There's so many opportunities. We're going to continue to provide ways as a church to serve, but individually, I'm telling you right now, if you ask God today to reveal to you, to show someone how you could serve someone right now, especially if they're in your top five, how you could serve someone else, I promise you, he would give you an opportunity. He would reveal something to you. He would, he would tug on your heart. He would give you a way. I don't care if you're locked in your house. There's always a way that you might serve someone else. And this is why we have to understand that, that when we know who we are, when we understand this identity, not just of the work that he's doing in my life through the gospel, not just the relationship I now get to have with God, but with the purpose that I have with life, it doesn't matter. Like COVID doesn't change this, right? Family tragedy doesn't change this. Whoever's elected in November won't change this. Doesn't matter if the Supreme Court rules against churches, they did this week. It doesn't change it. Not if you know who you are. It's when we don't know who we are. It's when we don't think about the big picture of the identity that we've received in Him. When we get tossed about like a wave of circumstances and teaching and ideas and thoughts. I want to take us back to, as we close, the scripture that Chris first read in this series. Bring us back to the bigger picture again of what is, it, what is the challenge for us? How, what's at stake in terms of us really living out and being and understanding who we are in him? This comes from Romans 12. It says, dear brothers and sisters, I've pleaded with you to give your bodies, your life, to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And then going back again to the verse we read, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not spend your time, your precious time and energy conforming to the identities that this world offers you to live into. But be transformed. Right? Be changed by the renewing of your mind, by the renovation that he wants to do in through us. You will learn to know God's will, which is good, and pleasing, and perfect. I don't know, I've taught this before, but it is difficult sometimes, to kind of put into words, what does a living sacrifice mean? What does it mean to be holy and set apart? Okay, I can give you some suggestions, but going back to what we've talked about all three weeks, I think part of this is just how do we live out of this identity, right? Go to the, go to the recap, this, this identity that's at work within us constantly, this identity that brings us a relationship with God, this identity that, that is given to us for a purpose, right? We have a role, we have a purpose in the identity we've been given. 
And I don't know which one of these you have to work on, okay? I don't know which one of these is, is one that you're going to struggle with more. But I would challenge you to choose one. Pick one. Let the Spirit of God sort of reveal to you one area of this that you need to work on. You've, you don't believe, you, you've struggled to believe it's true, therefore you've struggled to live out of it as an identity because we live out the identity that aligns and supports what we believe is true. So which one of these do you need to believe? Which one of these do you need to study and pray and work through so that regardless of circumstances, regardless of what's happening in our culture, in our society, regardless of where the future lies and what it holds for his people, it does not change who you are. And therefore, it does not change what he's called us to be and what he's called us to do. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, I, I will admit myself that personally, I struggle with the work that you're doing in me. This is the area, God, you've, you've pricked my heart. You've, 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 you've challenged me to, to, to work through and submit and, and continue to believe that's true, that I'm actually your masterpiece, that, that you're doing a, a beautiful work in my life, because I don't often feel like sometimes it's a beautiful work. So God, just challenge me, work through me. I pray for everyone here and, and listening now and listening later, God, that you would do the same, that you would give them at least one area that they feel really challenged by, that they are not living out of in terms of their identity that they received because of your work, because of what you've done in our life. And that, God, by doing that, as the summer of transition is coming to a close, as we don't know what the fall looks like, as we move forward in our culture, in our communities, in our friendships and life, God, as we don't know what the next few months look like, God, I pray that every one of us would be moving towards and living out of an identity that doesn't change no matter what the future holds that we can still be letting you do a work in us. We can still be living in that right relationship with you as Abba Father. We can still be living out the purpose that you've given us through access and understanding and through the gifts that you've given us and, and remembering the mission we're called to. God, I pray that's true for every one of us. And it's only by your grace, it's only by the power of your Holy Spirit at work within us that we're gonna see this happen. In your name, Jesus. Amen.